This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I enjoy stories. I don't know about you. I always enjoyed stories. I enjoyed history growing up. I enjoyed uh, taking it in high school and college. And the Bible is full of stories. And as you read some of those stories, you realize that some of those stories are like over the top in terms of people who handled amazing challenges and overcame huge odds. And there's a couple ways you can look at that. You can look at those stories and you can go, I don't know, it raises skepticism or it raises doubt. Or you can look at those stories and it raises your faith level that if God can help them and come overcome those huge odds, then God can help me in my life. And we want to talk about that for the next few weeks. We do a little series called Greater Than. God plus you is greater than, and then you fill in the blanks. What are the things that you're dealing with? What are the challenges that you have to overcome? And we realize that in life, we, we would love to say, hey, you come to the Lord and everything's going to be wonderful, but that's not true. We know that, and we realize that in this life, we're going to have challenges. They did a poll recently, 2,000 people, they polled them, and they gave them 30 things that people are concerned about, asked them which were the ones that were the most concerning. The first one actually surprised me. I don't know which group they found, but the first group, their biggest concern, their biggest worry was the growing old getting older, the general aging in general. And, um, you know, if, if you're in your 20s, you probably have no understanding about that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, turned, I turned 60 last month, and everyone is telling me, hey, 60's the new 40. <laughs> yeah, right. Those screens don't lie, people. I won't tell you that right now. <laughs> the... Uh, it's, it's, I know, I keep telling myself, it's just a number, it's just a number. But uh, getting older is something all of us have to deal with. Two, two guys, two older guys, they're in their 80s, mid-80s, are walking along a beautiful lake shore up in uh, Michigan, and they were buddies, they were talking, and as they were walking, a frog, ugly little frog, hopped out right in front of them. And they were so fascinated by this ugly little frog, one of the guys stooped over and picked it up, and he held up the little frog, the frog started talking to him. Frog said, hey, mister, I'm really not an ugly frog. And if you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful 25-year-old princess and I will love you passionately for the rest of your life. He looked at the frog and put the frog in his pocket. <laughs> he just kept walking. Finally, his buddy says, well, he said, are you going to kiss it? The other guy said, nah. At my age, I think I'll have more fun with a talking frog. <laughs> Father time catches up with all of us, doesn't it? Getting old was a, was a huge concern of this, this group polled. Second one was financial security and, and finances for the future. How, how am I going to do that? How am I going to make it when I, when I retire? Big concern. Third one was, well, I wasn't third, number six on that list I thought was interesting, job security. Will my job even be available? You know, jobs are changing. Robotics, self-driving vehicles. People are thinking, am, am I even going to have a job? Is, is there going to be something for me? So people are always talking about these things. They're thinking about these things. They're worried about these things. Can God make a difference with you and these things? The answer is yes. Jesus actually addressed the fact that we're going to have challenges. And I, I really like this verse. It's found in, in John 16. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. 
Now, you have to understand the context here. Jesus is speaking. It's the 16th chapter of the book of John. In, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is really talking about the value of a relationship with him. A relationship, he talks about being the vine and we're the branches. He talks about, if you're in me, don't let your heart be troubled. So he's talking about being connected, abiding in him. And as we're connected in him, what he's saying is that connection with him doesn't mean we're never going to have trouble. But what it does mean is in the midst of the trouble, we can have peace because we can be encouraged. He's overcome the world. So the connection with him gives us an advantage that us plus the Lord are greater than the challenges that come our way. I was thinking about, I grew up with dogs. We had dogs in my, my dad loved dogs. And so we had dogs in my, in, in my home. And one of the first ones we had was a scruffy looking little poodle. Uh, his name was Powell. He's about 15 pounds. Uh, we, we just let his hair grow. We didn't cut him like a foo-foo poodle. We just let his hair grow. Kind of looked like a nasty little sheep dog. And uh, <laughs> the dog had more, he had more guts than he had brains. And he would, he would prance into other dogs' yards he would hike his leg on their bushes. And then he would, you know how they do that, where they do that with their feet. And men, these dogs would come out and just chew him to pieces. And uh, he, he never learned. He's a French poodle. I think he had a French attitude. And um, <laughs> he just, man, he was getting his tail kicked all the time. And then we bought a, a Great Dane puppy. And if you've ever seen a Great Dane, they're huge. My Great Dane, when he was full grown, his head, if I, if I held my hand like this, he could stick his head through my arms and his chin would never touch my hand. He just, head was right here. He was big. But when we got him, he was a puppy and Pal dominated him. And it was Pal and Blue was his name. Very original names, but Pal and Blue. <laughs> and Blue turned out to be this huge dog. I mean, he was big. Over, I think he weighed close to 175 pounds. He's just a big dog. And so Pal would go prancing into other dogs' yards now, hike his leg on their bush, kick his legs up like this, and men, those dogs would come like, rah, they come down there, and Blue would step right in the middle of them. And you could see those dogs putting brakes on right there. <laughs> and I, I, I watched Blue take on three dogs one time and take them all out. And so while Blue was alive, Pal was the king of the neighborhood. And he just pranced around the neighborhood just doing whatever he... <laughs> He wanted to do, because not because he was so bad, because Blue was backing him up. And I thought, isn't that just like us in the Lord? Without the Lord, we keep getting our tail kicked, but when we have a relationship with him, we just get to go tromping, prancing through life. And we just hike our leg on the devil's bush and do right there. And when the enemy comes out, <laughs> Jesus steps in. You're like, you'll mess with him. I, we got, I got somebody I'm connected with. You plus God is greater than the challenges that you're facing. Now, there's a great example of this in the Bible, a man named Joseph, actually a young man named Joseph. The Bible donates a lot of chapters to him, and he's, he's got a great story. But you have to understand that Joseph was born into a really, really messed up environment, a very toxic environment. His dad, Jacob, married two sisters. That starts the problem right there. He married two sisters. One of them was named Rachel, and she was a looker. The Bible said she looked good in form and appearance. She was the whole package. Her sister, Leah, all the thing it says about her is she had weak eyes. I don't know if she's like nearsighted or what, but she... And it said Jacob loved 
Rachel more than he loved Leah. So that's the first problem. And then Rachel couldn't have children and Leah started having kids. And boy, she was having them. She's spitting them out like one after the other. She has six boys. And she's thinking, oh, he'll love me now. But, you know, Jacob still loved Rachel more. So we got all this tension going. And then Rachel had an idea. She said, you know, since I can't have kids, I have my little maid servant. Her name was either Ziplah or Bilhah, one of those names. She said, hey, Jacob, you take my maid to be your wife and I'll have children by her. And Jacob, being a guy, didn't argue. He's like, oh, that's great. So now they're having, now her maidservant's having kids. When Leah saw that, she said, hey, I've got a maidservant too and we'll get her involved. So now the guy's got 12 boys with four wives and the four wives aren't in Arkansas and Tennessee. They're all in the same neighborhood living in the same tent. And you can, there's all, there's tears of, of favoritism. And so you can imagine the jealousy, the, the, just the toxic environment that that caused. Let's see what happens here. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that was Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now this, the Bible says this, it says they hated him. Now, if you've ever been, if ever been in an environment where you could tell that you were not welcome, maybe you walked in, you could just tell people are looking at you and there's, and there's hate there. And the hate was so intense that they actually wanted to kill Joseph. And then his father did not help it by, by showing favoritism. And the Bible said he gave him a, 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 and we call it a coat of many colors. Hebrew historians think it wasn't so much the colors, it's that it was a long sleeve coat, which indicated authority. So he gave him something that said, hey, Joseph is in authority. And so it was obvious that Jacob loved Joseph more than anybody else. Well, you know that just created more problems. And now they hate him. And then Jacob, Joseph has a dream. He says, hey guys, I had a dream. And in my dream, I had a sheep. We were all out cutting wheat and my sheep stood up and all your sheep bowed down to me. You know, that went over big. You know, that just like, oh, that's great. Then he had another dream. He said, hey, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. So he had these dreams and it just caused them to hate him even more. In fact, they hated him so much one day they were all out taking care of the sheep and they saw Joseph coming and they said, let's kill him. And one of the brothers said, no, let's don't, let's don't kill him. Let's put him, put him away for a little bit. And here's what happened there. They took him, Joseph, and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty and there was no water. It's kind of like empty well. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. We talk about being in a dark place. Brothers find you, they see you, they hate you so much. They take you, they take your coat off you, they throw you in the bottom in, in a well and you're down in the well and, and they're talking about what they're gonna do to you. And then they see a group, a caravan of Ishmaelite traders coming and they had a great idea. Hey, 
We hate him so much we want to kill him, but we're not going to make any money off that. Let's sell him. And they, and they sold him. It's interesting that 25 years later, the brothers said they still remember the anguish of soul and, and Joseph pleading with them. Can you imagine they pull him up out of the well? Here's all these traders looking at him, turning him around, looking at, looking at him. And they start bargaining and Joseph's pleading with his brothers, guys, don't do this. God, please don't do this. Please, please don't do this. Don't, don't sell me. Don't please, please, please. And they ride off with Joseph. They take him to Egypt and they put him in a place. Now he has no future. See what happens. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there and the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He grew up in a toxic environment. They put him in a dark place. And now they put him in a place where he has no future. He's not a partner, he's the slave. He's got, he's, he's got no rights. He's got nothing to go on. And here he is, and you look at Joseph's life, and you go, dear Lord, you, what, what a horrible life. But there were some things going on in Joseph's life that didn't quite meet the eye. Here's the first one. First one was, he knew he was loved by his father. Moms and dads, I, I can't tell you how important this is. But if, if, especially with sons and fathers, if they have a father's love, it creates a sense of security. I can't say Joseph's favoritism of being favorite was right, but he knew that Jacob loved him and that created a sense of security. Second thing, the big thing that Joseph had going for him is he had a dream. You see, those dreams were from God. There was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All of them didn't have Bibles, but they had a covenant, a relationship with God. And God would reveal himself to them in dreams and reveal himself in different ways. And in fact, Jake, Jacob, Joseph's father, had had a dream once of, of angels ascending and descending on a, like a ladder. So jo Joseph knew that dreams were real. And he knew that this dream was real. And that was his connection to God. That was his hope for the future. And then the last thing we see is that God's presence was so much with Joseph that even as a slave, he did well. He prospered. Even as a slave, no rights. You're someone's property. And yet the Bible said he was a successful man. Now you look at Joseph and you look at his life and you go, well, that's great, but what about me? Well, there's parallels there. See, you plus God is greater than the challenges that we face. So how, how do we draw those same parallels? He said, well, I'm not special like Joseph. I, I never have been special. No, no. No, we, we actually have a better deal going than Joseph did. See, one of the first things we can buy into is the idea that you were genuinely loved by God. That's important. Now, some people have, in here I know, you, maybe you weren't loved by your parents or your, your parents had favorites, and boy, that does so much damage. If you can love your kids, if you can express your love to your kids, parents, I always tell you all the time, you're never gonna go wrong telling your children you love them regardless of how old they are. You can keep on telling. Doesn't mean you agree with everything they do, but you love them and they need to know that. But what if you don't have the love of a parent? What if you don't have the love of family? What if you've been rejected? How in the world can you have that sense of security that comes from knowing that you're loved? You can believe that God loves you. Here's a, a, a wonderful promise here. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are called children of God, that God loved us so much that we are called his children. 
And here's the beautiful thing about it is, all of us can be God's favorite children. So what do you mean? Well, Joy can come and talk to the Father. You know, y'all know, like, we know Joy's God's favorite. Joy can come, hello, Father, and he goes, hi, Joy, you're my favorite. And then I can come along, and you're like, you ain't got a chance, Alan. Oh, yeah, I do. Because I'm not coming based on Alan. I'm coming based on the fact that I put my faith in Jesus. So I come and say, hey, Lord. He goes, hey, Alan, you're my favorite. And you go, well, you can't have two favorites. No, he's God. He can have as many favorites as he wants to. And he's big enough where we can be a favorite. You can be a favorite. If you belong to him, you're his child. And the Bible said he is no respecter of persons. And his love, knowing that he genuinely loves you, can change things. I recently read a story that was amazing about the love of God. True story, a minister told about a lady who was in a mental hospital in California. She was there because of severe depression. Because of her depression, she hadn't responded. She hadn't spoken. She hadn't talked to anybody in years. And every day they would set her on a bench and she would stare at the ground. One day she was staring at the ground and they had a brand new doctor that came in. And he saw her. And he walked up to her. He said, hello, what is your name? She didn't say anything. He said, good morning. She didn't say anything. He said, well, my name is Dr. Heaven, H-E-V-E-N. And I'm going to be coming by to see you every morning. He had no idea of her her condition. So he's just trying to start conversation. He turned, he turned around to go and she spoke. He didn't realize how unusual it's hadn't spoken in years. She said, what did you say your name was? Turn around and said, Dr. Heaven, H-E-V-E-N. And somewhere in her wounded, hurt mind, she heard heaven, H-E-A-V-E-N, the place that you go when we have faith in Christ. She began to think about heaven. And she began to think about God. She began to think about God and how much he loved us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And the next day, to everyone's surprise, she said to everyone she met, patient and, and, uh, and doctor, this is the day the Lord has made. And the next day she said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In five days she was saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In six more weeks, she is released from the mental hospital and she's been a leading teacher in Southern California for the last 14 years. It's amazing what God's... Started thinking about heaven, started thinking about God, started thinking about God's love for her and it was the catalyst to bring her out. It's powerful when you know that you're loved. So that's a a great place to start. So knowing that you're loved is great. Then you can connect with God on the, on the basis of his promises and his word. See, a lot of people say, gosh, I wish I could have a dream like Joseph. Man, if I could just have a dream, if I could just have a dream. Listen, we've got, we actually have something that's more powerful than a dream. We have God's word, which is just is real. In fact, it's even more real and it's more solid in our life. And we can constantly go to the Bible and refresh ourselves. Look what the, the Bible said about this. It says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's saying your connection with God is on the basis of his word and his promises. So now we have an ability to connect with him and we connect on the basis. So I can find those promises. We talked about one this morning, his peace. I can have his peace. I can have his strength. I can have his help, his healing, his provision. All these promises give me a connection with God. 
But not only do we connect that way, but as you're just reading his word, God has the ability to supernaturally just bring his word and make it come real to you. When I was 19 years old, about 19 years old, I made a decision for Christ. Actually, I was 18. It was in June 6, 1978. I bowed my head and asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life walking across a field in Carbondale, Illinois. I was filled with the Spirit that summer. I was so on fire for God. And when I got back to college in the fall, I, was, uh, I had no church and no Christian fellowship. That's why I'm big on church and why I'm big on fellowship. We need one another. And as I got there, all my party buddies were there, and I just gradually slipped away till after a while you couldn't tell a difference between Alan before Christ and Alan after. And it broke my mother's heart. My mom's a godly woman, praying woman. She prayed for years for me. And she's up at night. She'd get up at night and she couldn't sleep. And she'd get up at night, she'd cry and pray and cry and pray. And one night she, I think she just cried out. And she had her, her Bible open. And these words from Isaiah just jumped at her. It says, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. And one will say, I'm the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. She said, Alan, she said, that, that verse just came alive to me. And I knew in my heart that God was speaking to me about my children, my, me and my sister had both gone away from the Lord. So did, did it change the next day? No, no. Years later, three years later. Three years later, I'm in Clear Lake City, and I'll go down to the pool to get my mail. And I see a vision, an Italian beauty with long hair and a leopard print bikini. And I'm like, I am all in on him. I'm in. And, and many of you know that story. I've told it. You can tell it better than I can. But we met. And God used joy to bring my heart back to the Lord. And when boy and I came back to the Lord, I was, just, I was so excited. I immediately started reading my Bible. And I was reading my Bible because I had a concern. I believed that Joy was going to be my wife. But Joy lived in Florida. She was only visiting Clear Lake City for just a few weeks. She was, she was moving back to Florida to go to nursing school. And we were going to be separated. But I thought she was going to be my wife. So I'm reading one day, and there's a verse that jumped out at me. And it was about Jacob. Jacob, who met Rachel. That, that's, that's Joseph's mother. He said, and Jacob, he said, he was going to have to work seven years for her. He said, but the, the years seemed like days because of his love for her. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. That's, that's me. Joy's going away, and we're going to be separated. But the years will seem like days because of my love for her. I'm like, uh, I'm just like Jacob. So I called my mom a little bit later that day. I said, Mom, I said, you've been praying for me? She said, son, I'm always praying for you. I said, well, Mom, I just want to tell you, I, I gave my heart back to the Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm walking with God again. I said, and, and Mom, I met a girl. Her name is Joy. I, I really believe she's going to be my wife. Now, Mom, she's going, she's going back to Florida to go to nursing school, and I'm going to be in Texas. But, Mom, I believe that just like Jacob, the, the years will be like days because of my love for her. It sounds bad, doesn't it? But here's, here's the rub. Do you remember that scripture that I, I read that, that God spoke to my mom? When it said, and, 
and one will call himself by the name of Jacob. When God promised to pour his spirit out on my mother's offspring, that was me. And as my mom got off the phone, she's weeping, and the Lord spoke to her heart and said, and one will call himself by the name of Jacob. That story, I, I told it three times today. I've told it how many times in the past? And that story still gets me because I realized how God answered the cry of a mother's heart, how God helped a little lady. She, my mom's not famous. She's not a minister. She's just a woman that loves God and had a child that was away from God. But you plus God is greater than anything that you're facing. And I fulfilled that verse right down to the T. And by the way, almost 20 years later, my sister came back in as well. And so both of us have fulfilled God can, you can connect with the Lord through his promises and he can connect with you in ways that you would never dreamed of. Who would have ever thought that I would have fulfilled that right down to the letter? The last one is this. We can connect with God through his promises. We also can choose to believe that God's presence is always with us. Now that's something we don't feel. And we often say, I wish I could feel God's presence. I got something better than that. It's a promise. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Did you catch that promise? He said he would never leave us or forsake us. That promise is stronger than our feelings. And there are times in life you say, well, Alan, do you, do you feel God's presence all the time? No, most of the time I don't. I don't wake up and joy and I don't wait. There's not an angel choir outside of our bed going, oh, they're up. I don't walk out. I don't walk out into a glory cloud. No, I walk out with a scruffy little dog that I need to let out to go to the bathroom and I need a cup of coffee because I am so not spiritual until I've had coffee in the morning. <laughs> I don't have a, a particular advantage. I don't, I don't sense God's presence, but I believe that I have a promise. And his promise is he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. There one, you say, Alan, have you ever felt his presence? I have. One of, the most, one of the strongest times is when I was going in for an operation and they were operating behind my eye. They were going to be awfully close to my brain. It was a risky operation. And it, there's a while when joy kisses me goodbye and you're just, you're, those of you who've been in surgery know that you're just laying there on the table. It's cold and it's lonely. And I remember laying there getting ready to go in that operation. And I sensed the presence of God just come over me like a cloak. It just felt like somebody threw a warm blanket on me and I knew it was going to be okay. And it turned out all right. You know, God's presence can be with you and he's with you all the time. Sometimes we feel it and it's wonderful when we do. But when we don't, we can still go on that promise that God, you said you'd never leave me. You said you'd never forsake me. I can boldly say, the Lord's my helper. And me and God, we're greater than surgery, an illness, a divorce, a rejection, a pain, you and God, greater than. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I'm going to ask you just to stay with me just a minute, if you would, please, no, no one leaving or moving, just out of respect for the Lord and respect for the people around you. You came today and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, and I know it, and he knows it. Or maybe you're like I was, had a relationship, then you walked away from God. Today you realize I need to come back. I want to come back. 
I want to connect with the one who loves me more than anyone else, who's got a wonderful plan for my life and a great future. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But if that's you that I'm talking to, you want to, you want to connect with the Lord for the very first time or you want to reconnect, that's you. I just need you to do something real quick. Just slip your hand up across this auditorium. Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Wonderful. Thank you. you can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You really, you really wanted to, and you thought, ah, I just, I couldn't do it. That's what, listen, you can pray this prayer with us out loud. We're going to pray it together as a church family. You pray it from your heart. God sees hands, but he sees hearts. So we're going to pray this all together. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, my Savior, the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, since you're still bowed and eyes are closed, let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who've come out of darkness into your marvelous light, and for those who've come back home, we celebrate with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you for the awesome promise that we have, that you're not just a Sunday God, that you're a God we can connect with all the time and can live our life with. And with you on our side, we're greater than the challenges against us. Thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness today. We give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.